Hi, I'm Lori Denning, and welcome to my podcast, The 20-Minute Scriptorian, where I explore the LDS scriptures and the path of the disciple of Christ. I'm a longtime gospel doctrine teacher, sometime institute and seminary teacher, and a current theology student. My friends and I are often discussing history, context, and theology, and thought that you might appreciate it too. I think of it as a bridge between academic and inspiration. However, these opinions are my own and not an official representation of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Thanks again for listening, and I hope this will be a blessing to you on the road to discipleship. Welcome back, Scriptorians. We are still in 2 Corinthians, and today we are going to knock it out of the park with 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And the question that is going to be answered by Paul is, do you have a veil over your hearts. All right, so let's get right down to it. Well, actually, I need to apologize. Sorry, everybody. I'm a little bit late with the second podcast from this week. As I've told most of you, I uh, went back to school to do a theology degree, and the semester started a couple weeks ago, and I usually take one or two classes, and I'm taking three, and I work and things, and so my life got really busy, so I'm a little bit behind and I may talk about some of those classes. They, uh, I have Hebrew, uh, a Pentateuch class, and one on theology. And the theology one is wackadoo, for sure. It's, it's definitely really different. And I find myself feeling like it's just a philosophy class, and the philosophies of men mingled with Scripture comes to mind about every day. But anyway, not to bore all of you with that, but that is what has been going on in my life. And my Hebrew is getting better. So that is, that's the best part. And I have found so many great things to share about the Old Testament. Uh, Not that we learned them in class, but um, they have been fascinating. But anyway, we'll get back to those. Let's jump back to 2 Corinthians. Now, as you recall, Paul has written a couple of letters and he had a painful visit uh, back to the members of the church he had started there in Corinth in Greece. And they had some real questions. And in chapter three, we seem to get to the meat of one of the questions that they had asked, and he's going to answer. Now, at first blush, when you read this, you might be like me, where you're like, I don't, whatever, I don't really get what he's saying. But as I dug into this one, I found that this had some really amazing applications, which led me to Isaiah and third Nephi uh, with the Savior visiting in the Americas and just absolutely awesome stuff. So let's let's jump in. So I'm going to just read from chapter 3 a little bit. Again, we're in 2 Corinthians. And and here's I'm just going to read a little bit and then I'll just notate, I'll just talk about it. All right. Do we begin again to commend ourselves or need we as some others epistles of recommendation of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? Ye are our epistle written in our hearts known and read of all men. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshy tables of the heart. And such trust we have through Christ to Godward. Okay, so this is where the context really helps. They had, remember they had all these like famous speakers and famous teachers, and they were very, sensitive to the new flashy speaking trend of the day. Clearly, whomever had come later, again, these super apostles we're going to read about, had said, you know, if if Paul was all that, he would have a letter of recommendation. So maybe somebody from Ephesus or someone can really say who he is. Um, 
that's shocking to us, right? That some congregation is saying, hey, we need your letter of recommendation. And he's clearly hurt by this. Um, I made a note of how many times in 2 Corinthians he mentions it. And he mentions uh, this idea of um, that he does not need a letter of recommendation uh, like six times. Um, he mentions it in chapter here, and then he mentions it in chapter 4, verse 2, chapter 5, verse 12, ch chapter 6, verse 4, chapter 10, verse 12, 8, and then all of 18, and then, I'm sorry, 10, 12, and verse 18, chapter 12, verse 11. So he is going over and over this idea that he doesn't need a letter of recommendation, or he uh, might be a little bit shabby in appearance, but that isn't what being a, an apostle is all about. So where's our application? You can probably think of one or two. Does the gospel of Jesus Christ sometimes, is it unfashionable? Are the teaching styles different? Are maybe the apostles and the general relief study presidency, and those, are they different than the world? Are they maybe not exactly what you expected? Or have you ever had someone maybe that you thought was an authority that you thought, wow, they really do that great of a job there in that instance. Um, maybe you can't give me an example. I, I don't have any big ones, but I think that's something we can kind of think about. Do we have some time where we say the fashions of the world are telling us that we need something else? And that's what he's saying. Now, what's fascinating is he says what the letter is, is them, is the congregation themselves. Because he's saying, you know, it isn't written on ink and it isn't written in stone. But it's in you. It's your testimony to the teaching. You are an example to him being a true apostle, which is shocking because everything we've heard about them seems to be kind of scandalous uh, or troublesome or disputations or contentions or rife there. And yet he's saying, as the spirit works through you, you're my letter. You're the letter of recommendation to the gospel. Uh, powerful, uh, powerful. Keep, let's keep going. Uh, verse 5. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. It's, it's not him that's doing it right, it's God. Who also hath made us able, minister, able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. But if the ministration of death written and engraven in stones was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses, for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of, of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. Um, this, is, this is where just, man, it builds. Take some time with this one. Uh, get your soda out, a nice uh, lemonade, and sip over this one because this just gets more and more powerful as you ponder it. But he's saying that, that we are, he's now a minister and we are ministers of the New Testament, that this New Testament of Jesus Christ, of life and resurrection, that the new covenant that we make is so powerful and that that spirit gives life, right? Literally giving life in the resurrection, but gives life instead of law and death. But then he goes on and he refers to this story. He's such an Old Testament guy, and we miss it. But he's saying, if the Old Testament, if the old law was so glorious, 
that the children of Israel couldn't even look on the face of Moses. Uh, they had to look away. Then how shall these, he says, the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious. Um, do you remember the story? It's in Exodus 34, where Moses um, is up speaking with the Lord on Sinai. And the he's been up there for quite a while. And he sees, he's talking directly to God. And he sees him. And when he comes down, he's glowing. His face is shining. And just as an aside, if you ever see any of the old painters, Renaissance painters, sometimes they have him um, with horns on his head. The Latin for horns and veiled was similar. And so they got confused because when he comes down, he doesn't have horns on his head. He puts on a veil because the children of Israel can't see him. They, it's so bright and it's so shocking. Um, he's not veiled before the Lord. He's veiled in front of those that can't stand the glory. Ah, just, wow, there's so many parallels there. Um, so he's saying, let's go back. But if the ministration of death written and engraven on stones, meaning the old law, was so was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. So the old law was so powerful, and it was an awesome law. There's nothing wrong with the old law. Let's not do us versus them. But he's saying that that was so glorious that the children of Israel couldn't look upon him. How much more glory shall be this new law, the new covenant? He says this ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. It will be even bigger. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. For if that which is done away was glorious, the old law, much more that, that which remaineth is glorious. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. So he's saying this new covenant is so great and it's so glorious that I'm not even going to mince words. It's so much hope. The resurrection and the uh, atonement of Christ gives us such hope that I'm just going to be plain. And he says, verse 13, here's where it really picks up. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which was abolished. But their minds were blinded. For until this day remaineth the same veil, untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even until this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. Did you catch it? He, he Man, this is great stuff, isn't it? He's really saying that Moses put that veil over his face so that when the children of Israel couldn't stand it, but it wasn't that they were just over their face. That wasn't what was happening. It was a symbol for their minds were blinded or their hearts, right? And uh, and it reminded me, one of my favorite scriptures in, in Jeremiah, uh, oh no, yeah, Jeremiah 31. Um, 
go there. I'm going to read it. It's Jeremiah 31, 33. I've just loved this scripture this year. And he talks about this new covenant and how it changes our hearts. And this is uh, what he's going to refer to. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. That the new law, this new covenant of Christ will be written on our hearts, inward parts. It's going to be part of us. And he's saying, um, even to this day, when, when people read the Old Testament, the veil's on their heart. But the veil should be taken away, that the Lord will take it away by the Spirit. And it says the Spirit, there's liberty. And I love uh, the ESV says freedom. So it says the English Standard Version says the Spirit of the Lord. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And that we all, with open face, meaning no veil, beholdeth as in a glass the glory of the Lord and are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So powerful. He's saying, remember he started out with this kind of sad topic. You guys, you are my letter of recommendation. And it's, it's something inside of us that changes. It's something that changes who we are deep inside. As Jeremiah said, our inward parts. He says the veil is taken, not from our face, but from our hearts so that we can see the Lord. And then we can see him as he is. Does that remind you of any other scriptures? Think on that for a second. Is there another scripture or two that talks about a change? A change in our hearts or a change in our countenance? Yep, let's hit Alma. Let's go there now. So flip over to Alma 5. And this is that great preaching that um, Alma delivered uh, part partially by the words of Abinadi. And he's referring back to this change that happened. Hold on. Sorry, dog in the background. Okay, so Alma 5, and let's do 12 through 14. And according to his faith, there was a mighty change wrought in his heart. Behold, I say unto you that this is all true. And this is talking about Alma the elder. But he says, and behold, he preached the word under your fathers, and a mighty change was also wrought in their hearts, and they humbled themselves and put their trust in the true and living God, and behold, they were faithful until the end. Therefore, they were saved. And now behold, I ask of you, my brethren and sisters of the church, have ye spiritually been born of God? Have ye received his image in your countenances? Have ye experienced this mighty change in your hearts? Uh, powerful that the Lord, we don't have to be veiled from him any longer, or we can take that veil away and make a mighty change in our hearts. Then it's the spirit that does that. And it's our, he had so many things. Go back and read that. There was such a great path there to have that happen. And that's kind of what Paul is saying here. Wow. Didn't know it was in there, did you? I didn't either. I, I was so touched by this. Um, when I was on the speech team in college, uh, we would travel around the country and compete against other colleges. And it was, you didn't know very many people, right? Because it would be hundreds of different universities and uh, you would do your little speech and sometimes you'd see some of the same contestants or college students, but mostly you didn't. But one thing we always laughed about was that you'd be walking down the hall of either the university or wherever they, the convention center where they were holding the competition 
And you would be like pointing somebody and be like, that person is a Latter-day Saint. That person is a member of the church. That person is a member of the church. And you could just tell by the look on their face. And we always took it for granted. And you didn't even have to ask. We all knew it. And it really did make a change. Now, I'm not used to those kinds of things, right? I'm used to these being kind of metaphors. <laughs> but, but that is really true. And I think that's what Paul was saying to these saints, that you're my letter of recommendation, that you can know of the new covenant and everyone will see it in you by the way you live, by the way you act, and by the change they can see in your heart and in your face. Well, that's it for this week, uh, Scriptorians. We only got to chapter three. I just, these are just hidden gems in here. I wish I had spent more time studying 2 Corinthians in my past, but fantastic stuff. So continue on. Um, we're going to try to get through chapter six. We're going to run out of time, aren't we? Oh, well. We'll get where we get, but great stuff. Keep on reading, and see you next time. Onward.